begins by loosing the seals that have sealed up that scroll or that book. And so, um, if you will remember, we covered most of that sixth chapter last week, uh, to the best of my remembrance, but uh, the first four seals that were loosed, loosed four horsemen, which are commonly referred to and known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And if you remember those four horsemen, the first one, when Jesus loosed the first seal, the first horse and rider that came out was a white horse. The rider on the white horse had a crown on his head. He had a bow with no arrows, and he came forth conquering and to conquer. And if you remember how that we, we talked about, a lot of people think that that is representing Christ, but Jesus is the one loosing the seals. That white horse rider that comes out beginning the tribulation period is the Antichrist. He's coming as a false Christ. He's coming declaring peace and bringing peace, a false peace, for a period of time. The second seal was opened, and that second seal loosed a fiery red horse. The red horse, the Bible tells us, was war. This rider came to take peace from the earth, the peace that the Antichrist um, brings in will be short-lived, and that that red horse rider will take that peace away from the earth. The Bible said that he had a great sword was given to him, and it was given to him power to take peace from the earth. So war will soon follow the coming of the Antichrist. The third seal was loosed, and they, the third horse and rider came out. It was a black horse, and there was a rider on that black horse that had a balance in his hand that was measuring food. And remember, he said a measure or a quart of wheat for a denarius or for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And that at that particular time in Bible days, that denarius was a full day's wage. And so what that black horse rider represented was what usually follows after war is scarcity and famine. There will be a time of scarcity of food. Food will be rationed and it will be uh, measured out precisely. One day's wage to buy a quart of wheat, which would be enough to feed one individual for a day, and three quarts of barley, which would be enough to feed a family for one day on one full day's wage. So we see the white horse rider the bringing peace, the red horse rider bringing war, the black horse rider bringing famine, and then the pale horse was the fourth one, and he, uh, his name was Death, and hell followed him. And a fourth of, it was given power to him to take, to kill a fourth of the population of the earth. And so there will be tremendous death that will come because of the war, the famine, and uh, the various plagues that will be the diseases, the pestilence that will come during the time of the tribulation period. So as you see that, we see that on unfolding. And, you know, the worst of the suffering and the sorrow, and we think, well, that's going to be terrible, uh, a terrible thing. But the worst of the suffering and the sorrow upon the world is yet to come after the seven seals come the seven 
trumpets, and then after the seven trumpets come the seven bowls, and the death and the judgment and the sorrow will intensify and will multiply. But just going back, if you will, for a moment to chapter 6 before we get into chapter 7, and we've listed those seals, those first four seals and those the riders of those horses. But then the fifth seal was open, and I believe we did touch on this fifth seal in, in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, and we'll get into that a little more tonight. But the fifth seal was open, and there were souls that John saw under the altar. And it was the souls of those uh, who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. There was given to them a white robe to each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. We told you, I believe last week, that this, was the, this is the first martyrs of the tribulation period. They were slain. These are those who will be slain for the word of God and for their testimony of Jesus Christ which they held. And um, know this, and we'll get into this a little bit more here in chapter 7, but there will be people saved after the rapture during that tribulation period, but it will be very difficult uh, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of those who put their trust in Christ at that time um, will have to give their lives. There will be severe, severe persecution upon everyone who claims the name of Christ and holds the testimony of Christ and of the Word of God. And so, uh, John sees these souls under the altar, altar. We mentioned, I think, last Wednesday night, too, that these were tribulation saints. These are not the church. This is not a part of the church, but these are those who are slain after the rapture of the church during the first part of the tribulation period. But then the sixth seal is open, and we didn't get to this, but I just want to, to touch on this as we get into chapter 7. The sixth seal is the day of God's wrath. In verse 12 of Revelation 6, he said, John said, I looked, and then uh, when he had opened the sixth seal, and beheld there was a great, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became like blood, the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And notice verse 15. It says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who is able to stand? 
So here at the loosing of this sixth seal, God is undertaking and there's a direct intervention by God into human affairs. As we've looked at those four horsemen of the apocalypse, those previous judgments that begin to come under those first four seals are war, famine, death, and martyrdom. There is, they were mostly of human origin from the evil heart of man. But these judgments now, beginning here with verse number 12, the Bible says they originate from God. It is, it is a divine punishment that will come upon a Christ-rejecting world. They will realize, these individuals will realize that it is a judgment for their sin and they will try their best to hide from God. One preacher said one time, this is the greatest prayer meeting that there will ever be. Amen. They will be crying out and calling out for the rocks to fall on them and hide them. They're hiding themselves uh, in the caves of the earth and uh, asking for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath is come. And this is going to take place uh, during the tribulation period, the wrath of God. We're living in that age of grace right now, but after the church is taken out of here, that, that age of, of, of the church age will be ended and God will begin to deal with this earth in a different manner and way in which he de- then, then he deals with it now. But here are these individuals that said that every rich man, See, there's doesn't matter. It's the rich, the, the mighty, the slaves, the free men, the bondmen, the commanders, all hiding themselves, trying to hide themselves from the great day of the wrath of God. God is doing everything that He can during this time to reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we shall see. Even during the tribulation period, God will be giving men every opportunity, every opportunity to believe and to be saved. We're going to talk here in a minute about 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will preach the gospel during the tribulation. There will be two prophets of God that God will raise up uh, in the 11th chapter. We'll read about them and study about those two great prophets working miracles, the witnesses, the two great witnesses that will preach and will work miracles. Angels will fly through the air, as we'll see later on, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, preaching the everlasting gospel. Angels don't preach in this dispensation and don't preach now, but during that time, angels will fly through the air preaching the gospel. God will do everything that He can, even in the midst of the judgment, to bring people to a faith in Jesus Christ and to bring them to salvation. There will be many that will be saved, as we'll see, but the majority of them will refuse to repent. And you see the prayer meeting here. They're not calling out for mercy, but they're calling out for the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
Now, you know, we, 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 are, we, we know that Jesus, we know that Jesus, how much he loves the world. He loves us. He loves people. And we're, we're uh, going to, uh, we need to understand that, and you know, people want you to preach and teach that that's all that God is, is just love. He's only love. He's not dealing in wrath or judgment. But the day is soon to come when he will be dealing in wrath and judgment on a world that has rejected him and his son. And, you know, we think about all the mess that's going on in the world today. And I'm thinking, Lord, are you going to, why don't you do something? He's going to do something. It may not be on our timetable, but God is going to right every wrong and judgment will be dealt out. Are you listening tonight? Amen. So we witness all this at the end of that book, of that sixth chapter of Revelation. The question is asked, who is able to stand? The wrath of the Lamb is coming. Who is able to stand? And John is about to give an answer to that question. So Revelation 7, are we ready? Revelation 7 is the first of three interludes or parenthetical chapters that are interludes in Revelation that interrupt the flow of what's going on. And right here, this seventh chapter is going to interrupt the flow of the seal judgments, but yet they will not... It will not interrupt the flow of the book of Revelation. During these judgments, as greater devastation is about to come, God does something here in Revelation chapter 7. You know what He does? He calls a time out. He calls a time out between the sixth and the seventh seals as the Lord extends grace to a select group of people right in the midst of the tribulation. And so that's what we're going to see here in chapter number 7. God halts the judgments temporarily. They've been coming and they've been during those seals being loose. But God is going to halt those judgments temporarily and select a group of preachers, a group of people to preach the gospel during the tribulation period. And in this seventh chapter of Revelation, we get the answer to the question, Will anyone be saved during the tribulation period after the rapture of the church? Now, for the early part of my ministry, I was taught that after the rapture, and maybe some of you were taught this as well, that after the rapture takes place, everybody's chance is over. That nobody can get saved after the Lord comes and takes the church away. Anybody ever heard that? Been taught that? I was taught that. And um, I thought that was the case. Well, if you if you weren't ready for the rapture and the rapture took place, then you were just, you know, there was no chance of you ever being saved. Well, as I got to studying the Bible, I found out that's not the way that it is. God will deal with this world in a different way, but he will, he will continue to extend his grace. His mercy will be his mercy will be mingled with the judgment because his mercy endures forever. Can I get an amen? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will still extend grace to people and an opportunity for those that will accept Christ to be saved. Now look with me in Revelation chapter 7 verse 1. John said, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Now notice in this passage, four angels are ready. They're poised and they're ready to unleash the next blow and the next judgment upon the earth. John saw them. He saw four angels and he said they were standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth. Now when he talked about the four corners of the earth and he saw them standing on the four corners, he's not this is not a claim that there is a flat earth. And I know there are those that are teaching the flat earth doctrine today, that the earth is flat. But this is not a claim that the earth is flat. Uh, it literally means when he's talking about the four corners of the earth, he literally means that that's every part of the globe. It's the four points of the compass. It's the four directions. The north, the south, the east, the west. So, the, so you know, the, the angels are on each one of those points. The north, south, east, and the west. As a matter of fact, the Bible in Isaiah 40 and 22 actually declares that the earth is circular because it said that God sits on the circle of the earth. So we're, we, don't, uh, we don't attest to the flat earth theory, okay? Amen. <laughs> we believe what the Bible says about it. But these angels on the four corners of the earth are holding the four winds of the earth. They are restraining the four winds. Now, what's he talking? about here. What are these four winds that they're holding back? Is he talking about just that the wind won't blow, that there's just going to be a stillness? Well, in Bible typology, wind in typology and symbolism speaks of the judgment of God. We know that from various scriptures throughout the Word of God. In Proverbs 127, the Bible talks about, about a person's destruction, a sinner's destruction that would come as a word whirlwind. In Hosea 8 and 7, the, the Lord said that they have sown to the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. So throughout the scripture, the wind and various other places as well, but wind is used to speak of the judgment of God. So what are these angels doing? They're holding back the judgment. Before these angels were sent to do their business and release these judgments, an angel cries out, and says, wait, wait, stop. Hold those winds. Don't let them blow. Hold back that judgment. God's calling a time out. Stop the, stop the presses. Stop the judgment because there's something that has to be done first before the judgments can be poured out, before this next seal can be loosed. The judgment is going to be stopped. All the judgment that we read about in the loosing of those seals last week in chapter 
chapter 6, that judgment is going to be stopped temporarily until, he said, until we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. What does he mean there? The seal, what is the seal? The seal was an official stamp. It was a seal that a king used, would take his signet ring and seal documents and seal things uh, to, to show the ownership. Nobody could open that or, or, or touch that. I tell you a good analogy of what this seal of ownership is like. It was kind of it's kind of like on the, the old westerns or our people that are ranchers that brand cattle. They put their brand or their seal seal upon those cattle to prove the ownership of those cattle. Well, this seal refers to an official stamp that it signified ownership. It signified protection, possession, and preservation. And all, listen, it's what it represents here is God's going to seal these individuals, these servants of God, with the seal of God in their forehead. And this is telling us that they are going to be individuals that are born again and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? Amen. The Bible tells us, listen, every one of you here, every one of us in this service tonight, you're sealed by God. You have the, you have the seal of God. Somebody said, How, what are you talking about? Paul said in Ephesians 1.13 that, that in, the, in the one when we trusted in Jesus, when we believed upon him, that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have the seal of God upon us. God has sealed us. If you're born again today, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, amen. Oh, I'm glad of that tonight. God knows who you are. And let me tell you, the devil knows who you are as well. He knows you belong to God. You have the seal of God's ownership upon you. And the devil knows that he cannot do what he would like to do to those who have been sealed with the seal of the Holy Ghost. I'm about to shout. You know, people talk about believers and Christians being demon-possessed and devil-possessed. Well, my goodness, how in the world could the devil possess a Christian? He'd have, to, he'd have to trod through the blood of Jesus and break the seal of the Holy Ghost. I don't think so. I don't think so. Amen? So we're sealed. Well, God's getting ready to seal some people here during the tribulation period. At the very beginning of this time of tribulation, the seal of possession. It's a seal of possession where God marks and claims you as his very own, that he owns you. It's a seal of protection. When God puts his seal upon a believer, upon an individual, that seal will protect us from the attacks of the enemy. See, the devil would love to do what he could to defeat us and to drag us to hell, but I want you to know he can't do it because we've been sealed by the Spirit of God. We're by the power of God. It's a seal of preservation. And Paul said that those have the, that, that have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise are sealed until the day of their redemption. What is that? The redemption is when he comes back and takes us to be with him at the rapture, at the resurrection. That is how long that seal lasts. We're going to be sealed to be preserved to make heaven our home. Amen. Amen. 
Praise God. It's like a jar of preserves. You know, they put that, used to put paraffin on the top of those to seal that jar so that no contaminants and no bacteria, nothing foreign could get on the inside of that. Now they got the, you know, they seal them with them lids down. And you know how it is, y'all that can stuff, when you break that seal, I mean, it pops. You know that nothing bad's been in there. Well, you're sealed. You're preserved. You're not pickled. Amen. You're preserved. You're sweet. But you're not pickled. Amen. Saints are preserved. But that's what the seal is. It represents the ownership of God. That he, is, he has bought us. He has, he has saved us. He has redeemed us. We are his children. He owns us. He possesses us. And he will preserve us and protect us. So the ones to be sealed here in Revelation 7 are the servants of God. These individuals are saved, sealed, sold out servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, how many of them are there? There's 144,000 here who are going to be sealed with the seal of God. So God calls a timeout. Stop everything. Judgment stop. Angels, you hold back the winds of judgment while we seal these 144,000 servants of God in their forehead and prepare them for the ministry that I've called them to. Verse number 4. Are we all doing all right? I'm not doing all right on time. I can tell you that. He said, and I heard the number, verse 4. John said, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. Of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then he goes through and he lists the names of the tribes of Israel. For time's sake, I will not read all of those. But he says that they were sealed. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, which make 144,000 that are saved and sealed by the Spirit of God. Now, who are these 144,000? The identity of them is that they are all Jews. They are children of Israel that who will be saved and will become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ after the rapture and who will preach the gospel during the tribulation period. Now, we've got to take this literally. Remember, when we began this study, I told you we take the book of Revelation literally unless unless there's symbolism, but then the symbolism also has to be explained to be literal as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? But but John was very specific and the Holy Spirit was very specific that these are Israelis. These are Jews. They are from, there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are sealed. They are of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And the reason that I stress this is because there are many groups today who, who have claimed to be uh, a part of or to be this 144,000. The Jehovah Witnesses, uh, I don't know if they still do, but Jehovah Witnesses, um, they teach that they are that elite group. They are the 144,000 that are listed here. Um, 
Garner Ted Armstrong. I think he died years ago, but you remember him? He was of the he had, he was the head of the worldwide Church of God. Had a lot of uh, a lot of false teaching and false doctrine, but he taught that they were the hundred and forty four thousand. Ellen G. White and the Seventh Day Adventists have taught that they are that group. They are the hundred and forty four thousand. And so if somebody tells you, well, I'm a part, we're a part, and there's others as well. But if they tell you, well, we're a part of the 144,000, ask them what tribe they're from. Huh? Because they have to be of one of the 12 tribes of Israel or they're not a part of this 144,000. So we know that nobody today is a part of this group because this hadn't happened yet. This is still in the future to happen during the tribulation period. Amen? But there are also those who teach that these represent the church during the tribulation. Those who believe in a post-trib rapture, those who believe maybe in a mid-trib rapture, whatever, uh, they, they they teach that these 144,000 represent the church. And they attempt by their teaching to take Israel out of this equation. There are doctrines today that are trying to do away with Israel. And uh, there's a doctrine called replacement theology. I've already talked to you about the kingdom now. I think I dealt with that and touched on that the other night, the dominionists and the kingdom now teaching. But um, replacement theology is a, is, a, is a doctrine and a teaching that's going around that's pretty heavy today that teach that all of God's promises to the Jews all passed on to the church because the Jews rejected Jesus. And because that the Jews rejected to Jesus, God is done with them. God's finished with them. God's through with them. And that's what they teach. But God, let me, let me say it loud and clear tonight, ladies and gentlemen. God is not done with Israel. He is not through with Israel. He has not cast them off forever. They are that true olive branch. Glory to God that will be grafted back in again. Are you hearing me. God still has a plan for Israel. There were five covenants that God made with his people Israel. Four of those five covenants were unconditional covenants that cannot be forfeited. God made a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. And God made the Palestinian covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. That promised the land. He showed him the land, told him all the land was his. Amen. I, I got news for the Palestinians and the Arabs that are there today. God gave the land to Israel, and the land will go back to Israel. Amen. That's why this, uh, you know, all this land for peace stuff, they need to just shut that up. Amen. Because God is not going to settle for that. And Israel should not settle for that either. God made a covenant with Abraham with his seed to give them the land. That is an unforfeitable covenant. He made the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. And he promised David that there would be a, a, a seed of David on the 
the throne of Israel forever and ever. That is unforfeitable. And then the new covenant that he promised them in Jeremiah 31, 31 is also a covenant that will be fulfilled. The fifth covenant, the only one that is conditional, was the Mosaic covenant that included the law. And in that covenant there were conditions, if you do this, I will do that. If you do this, I will do that. But those other four covenants are not forfeitable. They are unconditional covenants. And God Almighty will keep his word to Israel, to Abraham, and he will fulfill those covenants to his people. Amen? So after the church is raptured out, right now God is working through the church. But after the church is raptured, God will again work through the Jews. And he will again begin to deal with the Jews. And the, and the nation of Israel will be through this tribulation brought back to God and brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question is asked about these 144,000 Jews, how they're going to be saved, how are they saved? Well, the Scripture's silent on that. We don't really know, but we do know that they will be saved. They will accept Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved, and that's to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and be washed in the blood. They will be Jews who will accept Christ. They will be saved and sealed, sealed with the seal of God or with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I don't know if it'll be, if they'll have some kind of special spiritual experience like God gave Paul on the road to Damascus. I don't, I don't know. Like Jesus appeared to him. I don't know if it'll be through literature that's been left behind and they read. I don't know. But God's going to deal with these. God is going to do a special work to save these 144,000 Jews and make evangelists out of them. It's going to be, oh, hallelujah, it's going to be like having 144,000 Billy Grahams. It's going to be like having 144,000 Apostle Pauls that will go throughout the entirety of the world during the tribulation period preaching the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Revelation 7 is kind of the like the day of Pentecost for these Jews. Just like it was on the day of Pentecost that birthed the church. These 144,000 are going to be saved and sealed and anointed by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and many souls are going to be one to the Lord Jesus they will preach the gospel to the whole world and fulfill exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 14 that Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached it will be preached into the whole world and then shall the end come hallelujah it's going to happen and who's going to do it these 144,000 are going to do it. Here in all this, you know with all the technology we have with all the internet and the TV and the printing press and everything we have we still haven't got the gospel to the whole world. But these 144,000 evangelists are going to get the gospel out to the whole world, to every nook and cranny by supernatural power of God and the whole world will be evangelized by these evangelists. The Antichrist will try to stop them, but he will not be able to hinder their ministry at all. 
He won't be able to silence them. He won't be able to kill them. He will not be able to halt them whatsoever because they have been sealed by God and that seal brings protection until their ministry is fulfilled. They are. These are the private property of God Almighty and have guaranteed protection until He is done with them. They have protection from all the judgments. They have protection from all that is going to take place. God supernaturally protects them and uses them and there is nothing the devil can do about it. Oh, hallelujah. Amen? Nothing he can do about it. The tribulation, now listen to what I'm going to say because this goes against the grain of what a lot of people have been taught or what a lot of people believe. But during the tribulation, that tribulation time will see the greatest evangelistic effort that the world has ever witnessed and a vast multitude of souls will come to Jesus and will be saved during that time of the tribulation period. Somebody yeah, give the Lord a hand. Woo! It's amazing to me. I love this because here is, here's, here's, the, here's the hope in the middle of it. You know, God, like I said, he's called a time out. He stopped the judgment temporarily. And, and there may be probably those on the earth that will say, whew, it's all over with now. It's done. I don't know how long it's going to be halted, but it's long enough for him to seal these 144,000 Jews to be his evangelists. Amen. And right, and this is what I love because it's right here in the midst of judgment, God continues to give people an opportunity to come to him. Right in the midst of judgment, he remains merciful and loving enough to provide 144,000 Jewish evangelists to take the message of salvation to the world. Even in the time of judgment, God continues to draw people to himself and to his son. My, isn't that a, a loving God? People say, well, well, he's such a meanie. God is so mean. And all that judgment that's being poured out. He's given this world 2,000 years, ladies and gentlemen, over 2,000 years to accept his son. And today they're worse at rejecting Jesus than they ever have been. But even during that time of judgment, the mercy of God will be extended and will reach out. Hallelujah. And whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, and whosoever will call upon his name shall be saved. Amen. Now let's look at this. What do you say? What do you, how, do you, how do you know all this? What do you, what, how can you say that there's going to be a great evangelistic thrust and revival during the tribulation? I'm going to read it to you here in a minute. There are those that are preaching there's going to be a great worldwide revival that's going to come before the rapture. I hope that it does. I pray that it does. But, but folks, there's nothing that has to happen for that trumpet to sound and that rapture to take place. He could come for his church tonight. So for me to stand up and say, well, there has to be, Jesus can't come tonight because there has to be a great revival and a great um, uh, harvest of souls first, that's, that's not according to Scripture. There will be a great harvest. I pray that there is a great harvest. I pray every day there will be a great harvest of souls that will get people ready for the rapture. But I'm telling you what, whether there 
is or not, those that are ready when the trump sounds is going. Those that are not will be left. Amen? But I know one thing. When these 144,000 are, are preaching this gospel over the world, there will be a powerful, mighty revival that will take place. Amen? Now look, look at verse 9. I've got to move along here. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. Look at verse 9. The saved, these are the saved of the tribulation. I mentioned to you at, at the fifth seal back in, and I'm, I'm, we're not going to go through that again. But back in that fifth seal, remember, John saw the souls under the altar of those that had been slain for the word of God. That was the first part of those who had been martyred for Christ that were saved after the rapture. But look at verse 9 here in, in chapter 7. After these things, John said, I looked. And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." The fruit, here's the fruit of the preaching uh, of this 144,000 sealed evangelists that are preaching. There is a multitude there that comes to Jesus Christ. Many that will will come to Christ and be saved. They're described here by John as what? A great multitude? Did he say just a, just a little handful? No. He said that he saw a great multitude that no one could number. Now, that doesn't mean that they were actually innumerable. It just means by looking at this vast multitude of people, there was no way to, to say how many were there. That's how many that it would be, a great multitude. They're from every nation. They're from every tribe. They're from every people and every tongue. And they are standing before the throne of God, a great multitude that are saved. You know, at Pentecost, 3,000 were saved at, at one day. Wasn't, isn't that right? A little later on in Acts chapter 4, Peter preached another message after the lame man was healed. 5,000 were saved. Two sermons, 8,000 people were saved in that book of Acts. That's estimated that at the, in the city of Nineveh, when the whole city got saved at the preaching of Jonah, probably around estimated a million people were saved at Nineveh. God delivered three million Israelites out of Egyptian bondage by the blood of the slain lamb under Moses. Multiplied millions. So we see that God can do this. Are you hearing me? And multiplied millions will come to Jesus in the tribulation period from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. These are mainly Gentiles. There'll surely, I'm sure, be some Jews, but mainly Gentiles that will be saved through the preaching of the 144,000. And these that John saw in heaven, why are they there? They have been martyred for their faith in Jesus and now they stand before the throne of God. They have went through hell on earth in this tribulation, but now they're standing in the throne room of heaven. This little Shabbat there. Slipped out. 
Now listen, listen, listen. This is very important. Because this multitude that John saw is not the church. Because the church we've already seen in Revelation 4 and 5. This group here, these tribulation saints, it says in verse 9 are standing before the throne. The church in Revelation 4 is seated, the 24 elders seated upon thrones. They were saved, it says in verses 13 and 14. It says, you know, John asked, or the angel asked John, who are these? One of the elders, it was, said to John, who are these that are arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And, and what was John's answer? John said, sir, you know. John didn't identify these as the church. John had already seen the church in Revelation 4. But here, he doesn't know who these are or where they come from. The elder answered and said, these are the ones. Look at verse 14. These are the ones that who have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the Greek it says, these are those who have come out of tribulation the great. Great, the great tribulation. So, these, these are identified here as being ones who come out of great tribulation. The church doesn't come out of great tri- the great tribulation. The church is saved from the tribulation and from the wrath to come according to Revelation 3 and 10. These that John saw are clothed in white robes, which represent what? They represent the righteousness of the saints. They have palms in their hand. Well, everybody's got a palm in their hand, but, but palm branches in their hand, and they're waving palm branches, which the palm branches represent victory. They are standing before the throne of God, white robes, because they've given their hearts and lives to Christ, and they're waving a palm branch of victory because they're celebrating victory over sin, over Satan, and over the Antichrist. And in verse 10, they are doing what? They are praising their Redeemer. Oh, hallelujah. They are crying to God with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They know that they are in heaven because of the blood of the Lamb of God. These are those who came out of that, who will come out of great tribulation, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And I know some people say, well, okay, I'll just wait till then to get saved. Oh, help us, Jesus. The angels are all worshiping. They're thrilled to see them in heaven. In verse 11 and verse 12, it says, The angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. Amen. See, they're rejoicing over these 
souls that have gotten saved. And Jesus said that heaven rejoices over one lost sinner that comes to Christ. Amen. There's praise. There's adoration. There's some hooping and some hollering and some shouting that's going on around the throne of God. Because of what? Because of the incredible mercy of God that he has saved a multitude of people out of this time of tribulation. Let me tell you something, saints. The door of God's mercy will never be closed. The greatest revival in world history will take place after the rapture of the church through the ministry of these 144,000 through the ministry of the two witnesses in Revelation 11 and through the angels of God flying through the air proclaiming the everlasting gospel. There'll be more that reject it than accept it. But I'm telling you, there will be a great harvest of souls that will come to Jesus Christ. And that's worth shouting about. Amen. Hallelujah. These souls here are in heaven. They've made it before the throne of God. But the, but the fact that they repented and gave their hearts and life to Jesus cost them their lives. See, here's the thing. We don't want to wait until then. Of course, the thing is, you and I have no, no promise of tomorrow as far as, you know, a person out here doesn't have a promise. They say, well, I'll wait till I get older, and then I'll live for Jesus. Well, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's why the Bible said today is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. Amen? God's calling us today. So we don't want to wait. And I know people have said that. Well, you know, I know the Bible. I'll just wait. And then when I see that Antichrist, and I'll know who it is, and I'll see what's happening, and I'll get saved. Well, listen, if they can't live for Jesus now, what are they going to do then when they're facing all hell coming against them? In this time of tribulation. And listen, that Antichrist, whew, he's gonna be like he's gonna be like Caesar and Domitian and those Roman rulers were to the early Christians. He's gonna hate everyone who gives their life to the Lord Jesus. And he will slaughter millions of believers. Amen. Praise God. I'm just about done. Thank the Lord. Y'all doing all right? Look at verse 15. Here are these, these are destined, destined. What are these? These in heaven, these tribulation saints are in, in, in God's very presence. Notice what John says in verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. That's almost some shouting ground. See, here's the thing. Satan killed them. The Antichrist and all his cohorts murdered and martyred them. But now they are in the presence of God. No more suffering no more suffering. Now they serve God day and night, and they are there in His temple, in His, in His presence. And notice what it says in verse 16. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. 
the sun shall not strike them or any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Woo! Hallelujah. He said they won't hunger no more. They'll thirst no more. See, on the earth, because of their faith in Christ during that tribulation, because they would not and refused to take the mark of the beast... Because everyone that takes that mark in the tribulation has to worship the beast. Those who have been saved will not worship the beast or his image, will not take his mark, and they will be beheaded. They will have to go through time of suffering. They won't be able to buy or sell. They'll be hungry. They'll be thirsty. But, oh, once they leave this earth and get in the presence of God, the Lord said they'll hunger and thirst no more. Hallelujah. But Jesus is going to lead them to living fountains fountains of living water they'll never have to worry about food or water anymore there'll be no more suffering the sun or the heat refers to intense physical suffering there'll be no more suffering after they get to heaven hallelujah but heaven will end all of their suffering they will weep no more they've been through a lot they've suffered for their faith their hearts have been broken and their eyes are wet with tears but when they get in the presence of God God Almighty will pull out his great big old handkerchief and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. And that's not just for these tribulation saints, but for every single one of us here tonight that know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a better place that we're waiting for. Come on. Hallelujah. We're getting out of this old world one of these days very soon. And there won't be no more Democrats. And there won't be no more Republicans. And there won't be no more FBI. And there won't be none of that mess. Because we're going to a place where the Lamb is the light. Where Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. And there'll be no more pain and suffering. Come on. Amen. I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. Give him a good hand clap of praise tonight Woo! praise God that's exciting stuff amen all sorrow and sighing will flee away and I look forward to that day church that we can be in the presence of the heavenly father when every problem is going to be gone every question is going to be explained anybody ever had stuff happen to you down here you say why did that happen amen well God will explain it to us one of these days. I've always felt like this, though. When I get to heaven, I'll probably be so happy. I won't care for what happened down here. Amen. You won't have to explain nothing to me. I'll be glad just to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to, you know, I've even said that before. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord about that. I believe when I see him, I'm not going to care anymore. About all the mess that happened down here. How many is with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, praise God. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Hallelujah. So this is what John has seen. This is a parenthetical chapter. This is an interlude in between the judgments. So God is getting an army here ready to go out and to preach that gospel before the rest of these judgments begin. There's a lull in the action. There's a lull. There's a timeout. There's an interlude. 
in the tribulation and in the judgments of God. But in the next chapter, the seventh seal will be opened. The seventh seal will be opened. And when that seventh seal is opened, it will trigger a very unexpected result. And that result is silence in heaven for a space of 30 minutes, half hour of silence. So next time, we'll get into chapter number 8, okay? And discuss that, all right? Praise God. I hope we've all learned something tonight. And I know, you know, people say, well, one lady told me here a while back, she said, Revelation scares me. I said, if you're, if you're saved, it shouldn't. Because we're going in the rapture. The wrath of God is not for His church. The wrath of God is not for His saints. It's not for His bride. We're the bride of Christ, right? God's, uh, Jesus not beating His bride up. Huh? He's not a wife beater. Are you hearing me? Why would, he, why would he leave his bride here to go through and face all this tribulation, just beat her black and blue, and then take her to heaven? No, no, no. That, no, the wrath is not for the bride of Christ. And so we're leaving here. So Revelation shouldn't, shouldn't scare you. But we need to know what's going to take place. We all have family and loved ones that needs Jesus. We need to be praying, interceding for them. Amen. We don't want them to be left behind and go through this. But, you know, if they don't get saved, if they don't get saved, at least maybe they let them know enough that they'll know enough not to take this mark, not to follow the Antichrist, but to accept Jesus and stand in their faith for Him. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, thank